Good morning, everyone. What, what a privilege it is that we have a God who speaks to us, uh, who feeds us by he, his word, who, who leads us by his word, who comforts us by his word. So let's pray that God would speak to us now by his word, uh, that we would be changed. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that uh, you speak to us. Uh, Lord, you... You do. You protect us. You shape us. You lead us by your word. So help us today to see you clearly in it. Uh, help us to hear your voice as your sheep uh, to follow. It's in Jesus' good and great name that we pray. Amen. Well, this past Christmas day, uh, one of my children turned to me during the afternoon and said, you know, the saddest time of year it's got to be Christmas afternoon. They said because it's the longest time until Christmas is going to come again. And that's, that's a slightly sad thought to start on tonight, but I think that's, that's a familiar feeling of disappointment. And often it's a, it's a bit more serious than that, when you, you've been looking forward to something and then you arrive and say, is this it? You can look forward to the holiday and then get there and realise you're, you're a bit bored. You can get to the holiday destination and it's beautiful, but Talabat doesn't deliver there and there's no way to get food. The worker who gets the promotion and discover that they actually get to do less of the work they love. The couple who get married only to discover that still they feel lonely sometimes. The believer who goes to a great new church only to discover that the people there are sinners too. The believer who buys a new Bible, excited that this is going to change their devotional life, but then it still sits kind of there on the shelf and it, it doesn't seem to help. This feeling of disappointment when they, they felt like they were there, it was time and it was disappointing, well, it was shared by the people of Zechariah's day. And in Zechariah chapter 9, we're actually jumping forward in Zechariah's life. Uh, we think the earlier parts of Zechariah's kind of Zechariah's book, Zechariah's prophecy, they were earlier in his life. Um, and they were sort of telling the people as they returned to Jerusalem to build the temple. God's going to restore you. God's going to cleanse the priest, Joshua, and use him. God's going to empower the governor, Zerubbabel, uh, and use him to rebuild the temple, reestablish the people. And now they were there. The temple was built. Other people were back in the city and maybe another 20 years, 10 or 20 years have passed. And Zechariah is speaking to people who've arrived at what they seem to be hoping for, yet it's still a day of small things. The completed temple was tiny compared to the old one. The leaders who came after Joshua and Zerubbabel, they didn't share their godliness and their zeal for the Lord. The surrounding nations remained a constant sort of concern and threat. And the people were still sinners, often still serving themselves rather than God. They didn't yet experience the restoration they expected. Uh, they didn't yet experience the peace that had been promised. The peace and rest that they hoped for it was still not theirs. And so God spoke to this people and he's speaking to us today saying peace is coming in a humble shepherd king. We'll see this, this one, one message. We've got a long, chapter, a long, long passage today, three chapters. 
so keep your Bibles open or all three chapters are there in your outlines. You can follow along. But through these three chapters, some bits which can be difficult to understand, we'll see that peace is coming in a humble shepherd king. Chapter 9, verse 1 to 8, uh, tells us peace is coming as God sort of restores and protects his land and his people. He talks, as you, you heard read, uh, about some different cities that sounded Jerusalem, that surrounded Jerusalem. Uh, so he spoke of Hadrach and Damascus um, and Hamath, which are sort of up north of Jerusalem and God's people. Uh, and then Tyre and Sidon, which are kind of off next to the sea, um, off next to the sea. Uh, then he spoke of some of the, um, the Philistine cities, uh, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, uh, Ash, um, and Ashdod, uh, the pride of Philistia. Uh, he's almost talking about the cities that are surrounding his people. And, and as he does that, he's assuring them that actually he's going to subdue the, these, these nations, subdue these tribes, these cities that have been a threat in the past. Uh, so through this, God is going to re-establish his people and give them peace. One thing he's doing here is pointing out the old borders of Israel. The people, in Zechariah's day, Israel was tiny. It was just sort of Jerusalem and a few towns it was tiny compared to what it had once been. But God is saying, actually, I'm going to, again, subdue right to those far reaches. I'm going to, again, reestablish my city, there will be my, my country. There will be peace. Uh, he, he continues to, to assure them that these, these cities that were once enemies, that had been fought by King David, he says, actually, one day there will be peace. They'll no longer be a threat. Some people have noticed that the order of these cities actually sounds like cities that Alexander the Great, the Greek, Greek commander, would conquer in that order uh, hundreds of years later. And we're not sure whether God was looking forward to that. But what we see is that God's re-establishing his people and giving them peace. But notice that he doesn't just destroy these surrounding nations. He doesn't just defeat these surrounding enemies. In verse 7, he says, I will take away Philistia's blood from its mouth and its abominations from between its teeth. It's like he's disarming the enemies, so they're no longer a danger. They can no longer kill or destroy. And he says, it too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. God is saying, I'm not just going to defeat my enemies. I'm going to draw them in so they become my friends. Not just defeating them, they're going to become a part of my people, as much as Judah is a part of my people. The Jebusites are another people that had come in. God says, I'm going to bring peace by subduing the threats, subduing my enemies, but even drawing them in so they are a part of my people. And then he says in verse 8, I will encamp at my house as a guard. So that none shall march to and fro, no oppressor shall again march over them. For now I see with my own eyes. Like in chapter 2, God says, I will come to Israel. I will be a wall of fire around it to protect it. God says he will encamp as a guard. He will protect his people. Yet this time, he's not keeping the nations out. He's actually drawing the nations in as his people. He says peace is coming. And then he'll show us three ways that peace is coming. 
Uh, firstly, in chapter 9, verse 9 to 17, peace is coming through the return of a humble king. 9 verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. This is good news. This is big news. Yet we've heard that before in Zechariah. In verse 10, we are told, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declareth the Lord. Last time, when God used this announcement, he was coming. God himself was coming. And now he uses the same announcement to say that this king is coming. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous, having salvation as he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. In this chapter, we hear lots of God fighting the enemies, uh, the enemies being defeated. And so in the context, it feels like the king returning to the city is a king returning in triumph, having defeated the enemy, having vanquished the threat, uh, he's returned home in victory. Yet there's some strange things about this king, isn't there? He's righteous and having salvation. And having salvation could mean that he brings salvation. But that phrase, usually when it's used in the Old Testament, means having been saved. He comes to the city righteous and having been saved. Like he'd almost been defeated. Like he has just barely made it back. He limps back in. Doesn't strut into the city. He limps back in having been delivered, having been saved, having almost been defeated. We're told he comes humbly, mounted not on a war horse of victory, but on a donkey. This king king comes humbly, having been saved or delivered. But this king will bring peace. Verse 10, he says, I'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. You won't need all the equipment for war anymore. They'll be useless. Because there'll be peace. He says that he will speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This king is not just bringing peace for his people, but to the ends of the earth, from sea to sea. This humble king is bringing peace. He's winning victories, but through almost being defeated. This king is bringing peace. Defeating his enemies by actually drawing them in and bringing peace. He says, verse 11, as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. God says he's bringing peace. He'll fight through his people. He says in verse 13, he'll fight for his people. In verse 14, the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will go forth like lightning. For the Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them. They'll devour devour, or tread down with the sling stones. They shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, verse 16, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown, they shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness 
How great his beauty. Grain shall make the young man flourish, new wine the young women. This humble king is going to fight for his people and so bring peace. He'll bring victory through being almost defeated. He will subdue the nations by drawing them in to become a part of his people. He will bring peace. And we'll come back to this shepherd king, but we first want to listen to the second thing that this, this passage says, that he's going to bring peace through the replacement of wicked shepherds. We see that in chapter 10, verse 1 to 11, verse 3. Peace is coming. Blessing will come. And God says he'll do it through the replacement of wicked shepherds. Verse 2, the people wander like sheep. They're afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger's hot against the shepherds. I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. Now, we don't know the details here, but there had been two good rulers, uh, rulers whom God had used, Joshua and Zerubbabel. But it seems that after their time, uh, these leaders that God had cleansed and commissioned and empowered, uh, other leaders had risen up who weren't caring for the flock. And so the people were afflicted for lack of a shepherd. But while the people are afflicted, it's like they don't have a shepherd because they're not being cared for. As God has told us before, the people remain his flock. Uh, the, they remain his flock and he says, well, he's going to punish and replace the shepherds. He seems to speak of raising up new leaders or shepherds in verse 4. Uh, from him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. Now those words, they're a strange combination of things, but they're actually used of rulers in different places in the Old Testament. The corner or cornerstone, it's in Judges 20. Uh, the peg in Isaiah 22, verse 22, is used of Eliakim, a leader. Uh, the battle bow seems to military leaders. He's saying he's raising up rulers, all of them together. And God says he's going to use them. He's going to strengthen these leaders um, to, fight his, to fight his enemies, to save his people. Verse 5, they shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. They shall put to shame the riders on horses. Like Zerubbabel, actually the power was not with them. Uh, God God was working through them because he was strengthening them. Through them, he'll bring peace. In 10.6, he says, I will strengthen the house of Judah. I'll save the house of Joseph. I'll bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God and I will answer them. God says that he's bringing peace. Uh, He's bringing peace. He's bringing hope. You can see there from verse 7 through to verse 12, a picture of restoration, returning, of rejoicing as he gathers his people in, as he redeems them, as he says the people will be, the land will be so full that it will overflow. He says, verse 12, I make them strong in the Lord and they'll walk in my name. And he says, well, actually, he's going to do this through Um, as he replaces the leaders. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. God says peace is coming. And here this is a strong reminder for the need for godly leaders. 
When God's people don't care for them if they ought, then the people wander like sheep. They're afflicted for lack of a shepherd. It's a strong warning for me. All Christian leaders that God cares for his people and he holds shepherds to high account. But this passage is also a reminder for God's people not to put their hope in leaders, not even the good leaders. Because the leaders we've seen so far in Zechariah, they're these good leaders, uh, Joshua and Zerubbabel. They were sinful, they were weak, yet we were told God used them, God cleansed them, commissioned them, God empowered them, God used them. Yet if as the people kind of were suffering here, sheep without a shepherd, their hope shouldn't be just that God will kind of raise up some better leaders. No, their hope was to be in God. These human leaders were never to be their saviour. We hear that while God is going to replace the leaders, their hope should be in him because he remains their shepherd. He remains their hope and it's he that will bring peace. He says, don't despair because of bad shepherds, because God is your shepherd. He'll remove them. He will care for his flock. And don't put your hope in good shepherds. They were never meant to be your saviour. No human was meant to be your saviour. God is your true shepherd. And we see this in uh, the final part of this passage, the return of the rejected shepherd. God will bring peace through the return of the rejected shepherd. Chapter 11, verse 4 through 17. Now stay with me here, because uh, it, it gets a bit weird. But I, I want you to imagine a play. Maybe you've seen a play kind of retelling a historical event, like the founding of, of your, your nation or, or something else. And here Zechariah is going to be invited almost to play in a play. And this is going to retell something that happened maybe 80 or so years beforehand, in 587 BC at the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, God says, I want you to remember what happened uh, when my people were in the land, before they got defeated, before they went into exile. And we get this play, 587 BC. Uh, verse 4, thus saith the Lord my God to Zechariah, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. So Zechariah is playing God, the shepherd. Then those who buy them and slaughter them go unpunished. Those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, I've become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. So the second characters, it's the, the leaders of that day who were not caring for the sheep. Uh, but then there's the third kind of, the third uh, character is the people, the sheep. Uh, there he says, verse 6, I'll no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I'll cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, each of them into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I'll deliver none from their hand. God tells us this is going to be a tragedy. This, this, this play is not going to go well. Uh, but he wants to tell his people some important things, remind them of the, some important things. Verse 7 says, So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to slaughter by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one named Favor, the other named Union, and I tended the sheep. So Zechariah here acting as God the shepherd. He says, the first thing he does in verse 8, in one month I destroyed the three shepherds. And this probably refers to in 587 BC when in one month, well, the prophet, the priest, and the king were all removed from Israel. That's the whole leadership structure of Israel. Prophet, priest, king, but in one month, all of them fell there in 587 BC. 
as Babylon kind of invaded. Uh, next, uh, he, he, says, uh, he speaks of the people, because it wasn't just the leaders who were wicked, it was the people as well, the sheep. I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. Let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. He's saying the people had gone into such sin and wickedness that he was removing the leaders and he was judging the people. Uh, he, he says this, the result of this is that the covenant was broken. Verse 10, I took my staff favor and broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. This is a tragedy. God's relationship with his people seemed broken. The people, the leaders, they'd all rejected God, and so they'd been rejected. And then in verse 12, it's almost like God, sort of being played by Zechariah, turns to the leaders and says, how much is it worth to you? How, how valuable is it to you having God as your shepherd? Verse 12, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. God is saying to his people, his leaders, like, what am I worth to you? Having God as your shepherd, how valuable is that? And they say, oh, 30 pieces of silver. In the Old Testament, that was the price of a slave. God says, okay, God, you're as valuable to us as maybe, maybe a slave. And the Lord says, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord, to the potter. You can feel the drama of this play kind of going on. As God says, really, 30 pieces of silver? And then we're told, I broke my second staff, union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. It's this tragedy where God's people, his leaders, they had abandoned him, valued him at maybe 30 pieces of silver. And then in the final act, actually, Zechariah changes roles. It seems to come forward to the present, to Zechariah's day, uh, where he says, actually, well, the people today are still rebellious. They're still getting the kind of shepherd they deserve. And we're told, Zechariah is told to take the equipment of a foolish shepherd. So this time he plays a human leader, one of the, le the, the leaders of Israel. He says, behold, I'm raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or the maimed or nourish the healthy, but does vow the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Now this, this, this is a tragedy. God's people have run from him. God's people have rejected him. And he says, you reject me? Well, again, that, that covenant is broken. Uh, if you reject me, if you, you want wickedness, then you'll get the leaders you deserve. Yet we see here some hope that even though God had entrusted his, his flock, that they remained his. And it finishes the word of, a small word of hope in verse 17, woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. God says, these are still my people. These are still my sheep. He says to his people, don't despair because of bad shepherds, because God remains your shepherd. He'll remove them. He'll care for his flock. But also, don't even put your hope in good shepherds. You need more than that. No human was ever meant to be your saviour. God is your shepherd. God says to his people, peace is still coming. 
Though you'd rejected me, though you're getting what, exactly what you asked for, I remain your shepherd and I am coming for you. Peace is still coming, but this peace will come not through a new ruler. This peace will come through our good shepherd king. And if you're familiar with the life of Jesus, you might have noticed some of the things uh, that we've heard in Zechariah. A king coming on a donkey, uh, someone speaking of their desire to shepherd their people, a time when God himself was discarded for 30 pieces of silver. These are showing us that God is bringing peace. Yet yeah, that peace was not in a nation in the Middle East. That peace that God is bringing is through his good shepherd king who will draw the nations to himself. When Jesus, our good shepherd, came, he came in a day when God's people were not being led well. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, well, they were serving themselves. Uh, they were playing, placing harsh burdens on, on the people. Yet Jesus came as their king. And he entered into Jerusalem. In Matthew 21, we hear of the day when Jesus drew, draws near to Jerusalem. Uh, the man of olives, and he sent two disciples, Matthew 21, verse 2, saying, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. See, Jesus is saying, Actually, that king promised, uh, that king who's going to bring peace in Zechariah, that's me. Your king is here. Jesus is saying that announcement that actually God himself is coming to dwell with his people. Well, get ready because I'm here. Matthew 21 verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples did, went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowds spread their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. This was an amazing day. The king coming on the donkey had arrived. Yet what we know as the triumphal entry, according to Zechariah, it wasn't all triumphal, was it? This king was meant to arrive humbly. He was meant to arrive limping, like having been, having been delivered, having almost been defeated. This king was coming not to just win a victory, to defeat his enemies, to overthrow the Romans. This king was coming to draw the enemies to become his friends. And we see this a few days later in Jesus' life, when Jesus, God become a man, the shepherd of God's sheep, was betrayed. Matthew 26 verse 15 we're told that one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him to you? He's gone to the shepherds of the day. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. 
When Judas tries to give the money back in Matthew 27, uh, they take the money, um, uh, they take the money, they throw it into the temple, and eventually with it by the potter's field. See, God knew how he was going to bring peace. Bring peace to the nations, draw the, the enemies in to be his friends. He was going to do it through a humble shepherd king. He was going to do it as he himself, God himself, came to his people and he would be discarded for 30 pieces of silver. Because this salvation, this hope, this peace that they were longing for, this peace that we long for, it comes through our shepherd, Jesus. Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 10. And I'm going to read a large part of John chapter 10. And I want you to just listen. Listen to who our shepherd king is. Remembering the promises that one would come who would save his people. How the, 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 the nation, the enemies around would be, become part of his people. How God would bring salvation through a, a king who has been saved, who's almost been defeated. John chapter 10, verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, uh, but they'll flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Let's see the peace he brings. He will bring life and, and life abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatcheth them and scattereth them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I receive from my Father. Friends, can you see your good shepherd king, the one who brings that salvation hopes, hoped for, the one who knows us by name, who will be our God, that we can be his people, the one who was discarded by his people for 30 pieces of silver, 
the one who brings victory as one almost defeated, as one having been delivered, even delivered from death. Because he was betrayed, he died and he rose again for us. This is our good shepherd. He's drawing the nations to himself, forgiving them, turning his enemies to become a part of his people. And friends, knowing this shepherd, isn't it? It's worth more than anything, isn't it? Jesus said, um, yeah, it's a woe to those who would uh, gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul. What is it worth to you to have Jesus? Jesus is your shepherd. Jesus is the one who leads you and comforts you and protects you and died for you. Would you let anything pull you from following Jesus, from walking with your shepherd? Any pleasure, any fame, any riches? 30 pieces of silver or a billion pieces of silver? The acceptance and respect of colleagues, would you let anything pull you from knowing the shepherd king? This passage reminds us, should assure us that God works through weakness and even near defeat. There are ways you feel weak at the moment. There are ways you feel like God's cause is fragile or, or near defeated. God assures us through this passage that well, peace is coming and he usually brings it through weakness and even through defeat. The humble king, having been saved, brings peace. The nations who threaten God's people almost destroyed them, they are drawn in to become friends. When God's relationship with his people seems forever broken, he declares that he is their shepherd and he is coming even at the cost of his life that his people would dwell in peace. So where is your hope? Where are you hoping that your peace might come from? Is it in a change of circumstances? If you can just get that better job or, or just kind of move into a better home? Is your hope for life, for peace, maybe citizenship in a new country? Is it better leaders? Is it finally finding a spouse? Is it having better friends? Friends, we're told peace is coming. And peace comes in a person, Jesus. He has come and he is coming again. He came to bring us peace, to win us peace, friendship with God that we can be his people even though we were his enemies. He gives us that peace now and he calls us to trust him because he is coming again that we would know the fullness of this peace, this hope, this rest. Our shepherd king laid down his life and took it up again. Our shepherd king is reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. Our shepherd king is building his church from every nation. Our shepherd king will make all wrongs right. He will wipe every tear from every eye. He is our shepherd. He is our peace. He is our hope. Let's rest in him. Let's hope in him. I'm going to pray now and pray using actually the words of Psalm 23. And that expresses the, the hope we have, what it is to know and trust uh, this shepherd king.
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we pray that. We, we can believe that. Uh, in the name of our shepherd king, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.